Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Buying furniture is not easy. You want well designed pieces that fit into a modern lifestyle yet the look should be timeless. And you want a custom experience creating furniture designed specifically for your space. My suggestion is that you check out Cozy, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture for modern living. Their high-quality products are delivered quickly and are easy to assemble. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, and credenzas. Their outdoor collection features high-quality modular sofas and sectionals made for outdoor living. You can visit their store in Toronto. Cozy now has expanded from an online market to their first in-person space. Or go directly to their website at Cozy.com. That's C-O-Z-E-Y.com. Transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com to start customizing your furniture today. You know, I grew up with Vermont farmers who made do with tools they had on hand. A hammer, pliers, uh, and baling twine, of course, for most jobs. When I became a cook, however, I found that having just the right knife or maybe the perfect carbon steel skillet made all the difference. And the right tool also added pleasure to my cooking. I truly enjoyed my time prepping as well as cooking food. And that also goes for a car. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability They'll have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And that includes available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You know, I like classic clothing that never goes out of style, and that's why I suggest you check out Quince, an online clothing store that focuses on timeless essentials at great prices. I recently bought a Mongolian cashmere sweater for under $100. It's a great sweater and a great deal. Now that warm weather is upon us, Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 bucks, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash MilkStreet for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MilkStreet to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MilkStreet. Hi, this is Christopher Kimball. Thanks for downloading this week's podcast. You can go to our website, 177milkstreet.com, for our recipes, culinary ideas from around the world, or our latest cookbooks. Now, here's this week's show. This is Mill Street Radio from PRX. I'm your host, Christopher Kimball. 
today we're getting ready for Thanksgiving. Cheryl Day from Back in the Day Bakery joins us to answer your holiday baking questions and offers new ideas for holiday traditions, including cheesecake. Well, let me tell you, the tres leche cheesecake, it's got buttermilk, it's got condensed milk. It will never fail you, and it's absolutely delicious. Maybe we can start a new tradition in your house this holiday. Also coming up, Jay Kenji Lopez-Alt tells us why he eats lobster on Thanksgiving. Dan Pashman shares the best way to eat pie, and we offer a fresh take on carrots with warm spices. But first is my interview with Sam Four from Tuk Tuk Sri Lankan Bites in Lexington, Kentucky. Growing up, Sam Four's holiday table was covered in both traditional Thanksgiving fare and food from around the world. Sam, welcome back to Milk Street. Thank you for having me. I have like the world's most boring Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, the food's pretty good. I would hope so. But there's nothing about it that's unusual. <laughs> Your Thanksgivings, however, were a lot more interesting. So growing up, just tell us about what those were like. Oh, yeah. I mean, with my family, there's no table that is big enough. You know, we've, we've got to have everyone in on the fun. But there were three core families as I was growing up, um, two Sri Lankan families and one that was Japanese and Iranian. You know, the diaspora community is like, once you find each other, you guys are all together. You're family now. <laughs> and we would all get together for Thanksgiving and every year we would have these massive spreads that were completely multicultural, but also super traditional. If you wanted a Japanese noodle salad alongside your turkey, like we had options and they were pretty great. So I'm of two minds about all of this. On one hand, I'm going like, I want to reduce the number of items and just get to the core and please don't give me anything different. You know, I, I, right. I want one day a year where I'm just going to eat the same mashed potatoes and gravy. So, on the other hand, I find it enormously appealing to have, you know, the noodle salad next to the mashed. You know, we always had, you know, we have a turkey, we have the mashed potatoes, and then we'd figure out like the little things that we just love that would carry from year to year, whether it was coconut sambal and there was tadigs most years. Like it's just... You want to explain what that is? The So Persian rice, when you have that delightful browned, you know, sort of crust on the top that everyone fights over, mm. that's tadig. And so the Persian patriarch was very into, you know, his traditional foods at home. So his Japanese wife would learn how to cook all of them. So she made some incredible gourmazabzi. She made turmeric chicken every year. And so I would have this plate of like the, the scented saffron rice with a little bit of crispy tadik on the end. And then a Japanese salad with rice vinegar and lime juice next to my mom's eggplant curry <laughs> mm. and a sprinkling of coconut sambal, which is coconut with lime and chili and a little bit of salt. And it's like a perfect condiment for all those things. So between having Sri Lankan parents, a penchant for everything that I would see on, you know, Saturday morning television, <laughs> a Japanese auntie who also cooked incredible Persian food. I don't think that any culture was kind of off limits. Well, do you think, um, you know, how people would be known in the South for their cakes, right? Mm -hmm. For their dishes? Absolutely. So, and that was true everywhere. People were known for their specialties. Do you think we're starting to lose that as sort of part of who you are? It's, it's the special things you cook? 
or do you think in your family that's still very much part of uh, of your I don't want to use self identity, but but sort of the joy of cooking. The joy of cooking is definitely part of the family identity in my family. Like it is, it is one thousand percent in there. It's it's the joy of sharing flavors and and all of that. But you know what's interesting is that given what happened through the pandemic when everyone was kind of forced to slow down and, you know, decide, you know, okay, if I might be spending this Thanksgiving alone, what was really, really important to me, what made it feel like the special day, I think we're starting to see people's cooking evolve mm. to adjust to nostalgia and memory. And that is a lot of what I try to do is because, you know, with, with Sri Lanka being you know, in the middle of a bunch of trade routes and a bunch of different countries and so many different influences, the food is changing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But sometimes that familiarity is what really triggers the value in that moment. Well, yeah, as I've often said, f- food never changes. Food always changes. Exactly. I mean, you definitely. It does, it does both. <laughs> like with, with our families, you know, when I got married and my husband was like, okay, we can alternate Thanksgiving and Christmas or we can, you know, each pick a holiday. I was like, we got Thanksgiving. We're always going to get Thanksgiving because... I've never known anything different than this like entirely crazy smorgasbord situation. So what is it you actually cooked uh, last Thanksgiving? Oh, I do the turkey now. The turkey has become my thing. I make a little miso garlic butter and put it underneath the skin, spatchcock the bird, mm. roast it up nicely. And Is this a slow roast or a high heat roast? High heat or? roast. Yeah. I want to I be able to have, be done with my bird in less than three hours if I can. And wait, what about dessert? Desserts. Oh, um, when I was growing up, we had a lady who was taking care of me and helping watch over the house named Frances. And she made the absolute best sweet potato pie. And she taught me that recipe. Mm. And so I'm making sweet potato pie. Sweet potato pie is like, I love it's that one of my absolute yeah. favorite. I like it more. And I know this is probably sacrilegious, but I like it more than pumpkin pie. And so it's just. I do too. Oh, yeah. And then uh, my husband likes blueberry pie, so that's become a thing. Um, blueberry pie at Thanksgiving? Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, if, if somebody likes something, we're all about it. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. And uh, Thank you, thank you. That blueberry pie is kind of sticking with me for Thanksgiving. I don't know. Sounds like a good idea. See? Yeah. So, Sam, thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. That was Sam Four from Tuk Tuk Sri Lankan Bites in Lexington, Kentucky. Right now, Cheryl Day, the co-founder of Back in the Day Bakery in Savannah, is going to take your holiday baking questions. Her latest book is Cheryl Day's Treasury of Southern Baking. So, Cheryl, I have certain things... I always make for Thanksgiving and I'm extremely rigid about it. <laughs> Are you more flexible like year to year it might change for Thanksgiving or do you just go by the book? This might surprise you. I am not flexible. <laughs> I am Good. rigid as well, especially for Thanksgiving. There are certain things that I just absolutely crave this time of year and there's no flexibility for me at all. I'm shocked. I know. Just blew me away. So in terms of desserts, since you're a professional baker, you probably have your own repertoire, right? I would say I always make sweet potato pie 
Do you make it with a like a pecan layer underneath the sweet potatoes or not? No, I don't. It's a very simple sweet potato custard pie. If I'm wanting to gild the lily a little bit, sometimes I will add a meringue on top. Mm. But most often I will do a simple, perfectly baked sweet potato custard pie with a flaky crust and serve it with a flavored, maybe uh, some sort of boozy Chantilly cream or whipped cream. Mm. I also love Griff. Actually, my husband loves an apple pie and my version of it has rose water. Mm. I kind of macerate the apples the night before and it makes this delicious juice and a double crusted pie. Although Griff really loves anything with a crumb topping as well. And then something I've been doing, I guess this has made me a little bit more adventurous is that I do a cranberry crumb pie. Sometimes if it's just us, (laughs) you know, that's kind of our version of uh, cranberry. It's got like oranges and orange zest and spices in it. Those are kind of my top three pies, I would say. Can we go back to the apple pie? Sure. Macerating them in what, lemon juice Mm -hmm. and the rose water overnight and a little bit of sugar too, or you put the sugar in later? So yeah, it's the sugar, it's a little lemon juice, the apples are sliced and it's got a little, you know, the spices and all of that. And so, yeah, it's macerating overnight Mm. and then it becomes really, really juicy. Mm. And then I pour off some of the juice and I cook that down. Cook it down, right. And then I make a caramel you know, kind of goo that has a little butter in it. And then that gets poured on top of the apples. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's really delicious. Well, tell me about your recipe. I want to hear about your apple pie. Here's what I think. I've been making this for years. I don't use any of the spices. Oh. A friend of mine runs a big apple orchard in Saratoga Springs, New York. Is it multiple apples or yes. one apple? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He has all these old, crazy mm. heirloom apples, pearl mane, and you know, sheep's oh, wow. and stuff. I find that those old apple flavors, they're not as sweet, right? Mm-hmm. And if you get like four different kinds and not too much sugar, maybe a half a cup for like eight cups of apples. Yeah. And lemon juice, you just let the apple shine through. Yeah, absolutely. I could see that for sure. If I'm dealing with supermarket apples, yeah. But mm-hmm. if I can get those. Yeah. That's how they used to do it, right? They used to just mix and match. Absolutely. Yeah. Try the rose though, because it really does. Even if you did no other spices, the rose water really does bring out the flavors of the apples, like that floral kind of undertone that apples have. It's a good idea. And I love it. So we're going to open up the phone lines and I can just duck all the hard baking questions and you can... You can do all the hard work. I'll just go along for the ride. So let's take some calls. Sounds great. I love taking baking questions. Welcome to Mill Street. Who's calling? Hi, this is Rebecca Fox. I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. How can we help you? I had a question regarding sending baked goods out to friends and family. I recently sent my friend a package of cookies because she just had a baby. And I like to do this also for, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving. And I'm just wondering if there's any tips or 
you know, preferred recipes for having to send a package that may take four to five days before they receive it. I think Cheryl actually knows the answers to this. I do know the answer. Thanks for this question. We actually at our bakery ship cookies every other day all over the country. And the secret we have found is bake your cookies, let them cool. Then you wrap them in plastic wrap very, very well. And then you put them in the freezer at least overnight. Hmm. We have been able to even ship cupcakes this way if the weather is being kind. You also do need to add a couple of uh, those really inexpensive ice packs that you can find. Get yourself some of those silver insulated bags, and then you put your cookies in there and just make sure that they're, you know, wrapped up really well. And those ship beautifully. One thing I would say is that you mentioned four to five days. For these gifts, you're definitely going to want to ship them up to two to three days at the most. And when they arrive, they are perfection. As far as the kinds of recipes, I would say, what are some of your favorites that you're baking? I've recently been doing a lot of soft, chewy sugar cookies. Oh, yeah. I worry about them becoming stale you know, mm-hmm. before they arrive. Right. Well, I have shipped, we make a soft and chewy, um, like a sprinkle sugar cookie. Mm-hmm. And it freezes beautifully, but I would stick to sugar cookies, chocolate chip cookies, you know, something kind of hearty. Shortbread cookies actually ship beautifully also. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. I would have never thought of any of those things. The great thing about this is you can do this several weeks up to a month in advance. I love that. That's fantastic. Yay. Well, thank you for your question. Thanks Thank for calling. Thank you so much for answering it. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, this is Lucy, and I'm calling from Anaheim. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. I admit I'm a little nervous. I'm excited about this. Oh, don't be nervous. We're happy to help you. Well, it's a running joke in my family that I'm a terrible baker. <laughs> I'm very intimidated by recipes that call for dairy, meaning milk, whole milk, buttermilk. For whatever reason, they just kind of make me really nervous. So I tend to forego those types of recipes. I don't typically keep milk or buttermilk, whole milk especially, in the fridge. My question is, is it okay to use like powdered substitutes or is it just best to stick with the whole milk the buttermilk avenue what i do is i keep a cardboard you know round carton of buttermilk powder in the fridge just in case and the substitution is one cup of let's say milk that's in the recipe for that you substitute one cup of water and a quarter cup of the dry buttermilk powder you mix it together i'd say it works okay You know, it's obviously a thinner texture than cultured buttermilk, but in a pinch, it works pretty well. The only thing you'd have to worry about is buttermilk is going to be more acidic than milk. So you're going to have to think about the leavener. The recipe might call for baking powder, for example, let's say, and milk. 
with buttermilk, you'd probably just use baking soda. But Cheryl usually has an easier answer than I do. So what's, <laughs> okay. what's your easier answer? No, Chris always has a great answer. First of all, yes, you can substitute um, the dried milk. And actually, a lot of folks think that that ingredient is a booster to texture and a secret ingredient for cookies. What I'm concerned about is I want to make you not be afraid of baking. I think you need to start with something that's not a complex recipe and maybe start with something really simple to build your repertoire and to have some success in baking. If you make it over and over again, I made chocolate chip cookies as a child when I first started learning how to bake so many, I mean, just over and over and over again and practice really does make perfect. So I would say pick a recipe that you can have great success with, um, maybe a cookie recipe and bring that and see what they have to say now. <laughs> I totally agree with Cheryl. Like, like get three baking recipes down, like a biscuit, a cookie and a simple cake and then just keep master making them. it. Yeah. Master, master it. it. And then you'll start to build your confidence. And when you show up with any of these baked goods, they're going to change their tune for sure. <laughs> I sure hope so. Because every time I show up at the gatherings, they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> We're gonna, this is a story that I want to make sure that it has a happy ending. So please let us know. You're going to go from the worst to the best if you just stick to it, right? Anyway, oh, give that a shot. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much. Yeah, pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Milk Street Radio. If you have a kitchen mystery or question, just give us a ring anytime. The number is 855-426-9843. One more time, 855-426-9843. Or email us at questions at MilkStreetRadio.com. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, Cheryl. This is Alex from Lexington, Massachusetts. Hi, Alex. How can we help you today? I have a tres leches cake problem. It is a popular favorite in my house, and we uh, make it for the holidays. And it's a recipe that's different from the other tres leches recipes I found online. It's lighter. It's completely delicious, but it has this sad sinking in the center. So I'm trying to cure that. Okay. It has... Two cups of flour to six large eggs. And then it also has two cups of sugar. And it has butter? It has no butter in it. You mm -hmm. uh, beat the egg whites with some salt mm -hmm. on low to medium. Then you add your sugar. Bring that up to fifth peaks. Mm -hmm. Then you add the egg yolks into the mixture on low. Then you add your flour and vanilla and then milk. Then mm -hmm. it turns into this very thick consistency you put it in an ungreased 13 by nine baking dish. Mm -hmm. Then you bake it, rises beautifully, and it falls spectacularly. <laughs> <laughs> the things I've tried are room temperature eggs. Uh huh. I wrap the pan in a damp towel, and I've also let it cool upside down because it won't fall out of the pan. Oh, wow. And all those things help a bit, but it's still so sad, but it's so delicious. I figured if anyone can help me, you guys can. One thing you said struck me. You said you whip the whites to stiff peaks. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Now, that, I think that's the problem because mm -hmm. you should almost never whip whites to stiff peaks because then you can't 
combine the other ingredients properly, you'll deflate the whites. So I would whip them to soft peaks. I think you're overbeating the whites, which would be a problem. That's a very good point. Somehow it sounds like it isn't combining properly. And so I think that's a good place to start. I'll send you my recipe. Yeah. And <laughs> there you go. Oh, yes. Yeah. Please do. Done. Please because do. that way you can try it and let me know what you think. The other thing I was going to add is that if all else fails, I do make a tres leche cheesecake. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and that is delicious. Let's just throw out the tres leches cake and go to the cheesecake. Well, let me tell you, the tres leche cheesecake, so it has buttermilk, it's got condensed milk, and it will never fail you. And then you also frost it with whipped cream and top it with mm. strawberries, and it's absolutely delicious. Maybe we can start a new tradition in your house this mm. holiday. I'm sold. The holidays me are coming too. up. It'll be on my wish list. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you so much for that question. Thanks for calling, Thank you, guys. Yeah. Bye. You're listening to Milk Street Radio. Coming up next, Jay Kenji Lopez-Alt tells us about his tradition of eating lobster on Thanksgiving. That's right up after the break. I'm Christopher Kimball, and now here's a word from our friends at Allagash Brewing Company, who love food as much as we do here at Milk Street. Hi, this is Jason Perkins. I'm the brewmaster at Allagash, and I've been making Allagash White in Portland, Maine since 1999. So a white beer is a very old style of beer. Traditionally, it was brewed with spices of some type, typically coriander and orange peel. And I think one of the things that makes Allagash White distinctive and different is the rare combination of complexity and drinkability. And it's sometimes remarkable to stop and realize that I never get tired of it. You know, I'll open a can or I'll pour a glass and the first sip and I'm like, man, this beer is good. There are a lot of different ways that folks can enjoy an Allagash White, and here are some of the examples of what folks here at the brewery like to do. My favorite thing to pair with an Allagash White is simple, beautiful seared scallops over a bed of fresh greens with blood orange and shaved fennel. My favorite would probably have to be like an Italian or a hoagie, capicola, pickled vegetables, Crusty bread, it's got that nice lemony, zesty character that just gets you ready for the next bite. The ultimate pairing for me is this dish called bosom, which is this like big pork shoulder with like salt and brown sugar. We also call it candy pork in my house and a little like scallion ginger sauce. It's like lettuce, rice, pork, sip of white, lettuce, rice, pork, sip of white, and it's just perfection. My other top choice was like a hot dog. Like just have a hot dog and have an Allagash White. You don't need to dress it up. There's something about mussels with beer, especially the white, that is just so good. I feel like it goes really well with different soft cheeses that aren't too dominant, but then also with like spicy Indian food. So I think it's just 
really versatile. I could imagine like something like um, like lemon meringue pie. That would be really nice. Pairing Allagash White with carrot cake is a thing of beauty. This maybe it sounds really boring, but pepperoni pizza. <laughs> I feel like after a long week, having like a nice warm pepperoni pizza and a cold Allagash White is just like you made it, like you did your week. You deserve this pizza, you deserve this beer. It's perfect in summer, it's perfect in winter. I haven't really found a flavor that I don't think works really well with Allagash <laughs> Yeah, so not only do I drink it while I cook, I often cook with it. So if I'm creating some kind of stew, I'll add a little bit of Allagash White to it. A lot of people use Allagash White in like a fried fish batter. Anywhere where you can add like a spritz of lemon or a spritz of lime, that could be the beer. We are very food-minded here at Allagash, obviously. <laughs> and I think because of that, Allagash White is kind of subtle in a way that not all beers are, and I think that makes it very food-friendly. I think it tends to unlock qualities in the food that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily notice. Like it's not too hoppy or it's not too sweet, so it sits right in the middle and sort of brings the flavors of the dish to life. If you ask anyone here at Allagash, we're pretty much all stands for this beer. We love it so much because every time you have it, you pick up something new. Every time you come back to it, you're reminded like, oh wow, yeah, that's really good. This is Jason Perkins again. Just want to say thanks to everyone at Allagash for sharing. You can try Allagash White at home, too. Head to Allagash.com slash locator to find Allagash White near you. For 21 plus only, please drink responsibly. Allagash Brewing Company, Portland, Maine. This is Most J Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Kimball. Right now, it's my interview with food science writer J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. Kenji, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Uh, Thanksgiving is, of course, upon us. Mm -hmm. And my guess is you have a slightly different take on Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think this year we're going to be reviving an old tradition. Um, so we, we, have a, we have a newborn at home now who we named after my grandfather who died a few years ago. But he loved lobster. And so we would always have a lobster Thanksgiving. Um, huh. and what we do is my dad, uh, who lived in Boston, would go buy the biggest lobster he could find um, and then bring it down to New York where we'd have uh, Thanksgiving. But my anyhow, my, my grandfather um, had a specific method of cooking lobster that he uh, insisted was the best way to cook lobster. And then years later at Serious Eats, when I was uh, testing methods to cook lobster, in blind taste tests, we actually confirmed that the, the method hmm. he suggested is one of the best ways to cook lobster. So what he, what he would do is roast it as opposed to boiling it or, or steaming really? it. Yeah. Um, and, you'll, and you'll find that the, the flavor becomes much more intense. You get a much stronger lobster flavor than you do with boiling, where, where a lot of it just washes out into the water. That's interesting. Um, yeah. The only issue that you get when you roast a lobster, though, is that it's, it's similar to how um, when you uh, cook a hard-boiled egg, if you start it hot, it peels right. easily, and if you start it in cold water, it doesn't. A lobster, if you roast it and it slowly comes up to temperature, the meat actually ends up sticking really firmly to the shell hmm. and becomes difficult to get out. Um, so the workaround that I devised for that was to steam it or boil it briefly for just a minute or two. 
and huh. then transfer it to the oven and roast it. Um, and I always do it. I what I like to do is I well I kill the lobster first, then I separate the legs and claws and tail from the from the uh, the carapace. You can use the you know my grandfather loved to eat the uh, the tamale. I don't particularly like that, but you you can roast the head as well if you want. Then I do everything to temperature. So after boiling or steaming for two minutes, I transfer it to a uh, 400 degree oven and I roast it. And mm. then I take everything to 135 degrees. And so it takes about, you know, in a 400 degree oven, the claws and legs will take around uh, seven to 10 minutes or so. And the tail will take about 15 minutes, depending on, of course, depending on the size of the lobster. But your best bet is just like if you're cooking, you know, a prime rib or a chicken to get a instant read thermometer um, and temp the lobster meat uh, by sticking it through a crack in the shell. So this is a little like uh, that technique I got from somebody years ago for a simmering duck or goose in water first. For for a totally different reason, it's to yeah yeah sort of boil off some of the melt the fat, but yeah, and then you put the it into up. an oven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So what about one thirty five? Is that I know like if I'm cooking tuna or something, I'll cook it to one fifteen or something. Mm-hmm. What, what's the magic in that number? Well, it's just it's just you know when when you get above there, it's um, it starts to turn rubbery and tough, you mm-hmm. know, and and below that temperature, um, it's still a little translucent. Um, you know, you you can go below that number if you want. Um, some people like that sort of translucent, softer right. texture, but one thirty five is is the point at where it's firm, it's firm but not rubbery. Yeah, exactly. And was there a sauce, or you just ate it with butter? Butter, yeah, we all we always did butter and lemon. You know, for Thanksgiving, we kind of liked it the classic way. Um, right. We did very frequently have lobster done um, Cantonese style, though, where you would steam it first and then right. um, toss it in a dredging mixture, so with uh, white pepper, salt, and cornstarch. Um, hmm. Chop it up and toss it in right. that mixture, and then deep fry it. Uh, mm. Take it out and then stir fry it uh, with with garlic, ginger, um, and chilies. So that that was a way, method that we used. Um, not on Thanksgiving, but uh, right. that's probably and probably my favorite way to cook lobster. So, uh, what was it about your grandfather and lobster? Was there a personal <laughs> story here? Well, I mean, he loved lobster. So, so the one thing that he always liked to do he he was an organic chemist, um, and he really loved talking about why lobsters turn red when you cook them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's because um, lobsters actually have these carotenoid pigment. I mean, I remember that word from when I was like five. Carotenoid pigments, um, which are these sort of the same pigments that make carrots orange and make shrimp and shellfish and flamingos pink. Um, those pigments are already in the lobster shell, but there are darker blue and brown pigments uh, that obscure them. And then once you cook the lobster, those darker pigments get destroyed. And so the, the bright red shows up. So the, the redness is actually always there underneath. It's just you don't see it because it's covered up by the, uh, by the blue and the brown above it. So every year, you and everyone else were waiting for the story? <laughs> yes. Yeah. He would. It was. He would always tell us that story, and then he would do. And then he would do magic tricks because he was a. He was a, a, an amateur magician as well. Kenji, thank you. Uh, the best way to cook lobster, and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. That was Jay Kenji Lopez Alt. He's the chief culinary consultant for Serious Eats, a food columnist for the New York Times, and also author of The Food Lab. I'm Christopher Kimball, and you're listening to Milk Street Radio. It's time to chat with Lynn Clark about this week's recipe, yogurt roasted carrots with warm spices. Lynn, how are you? I'm doing well, Chris. It's that time of year 
And I'm not going to ask you about turkey or pumpkin pie. Few. But, you know, I always, it's the sides that bother me. I've almost gotten to the point I'm do gravy stuffing and turkey and then pies to skip <laughs> the stuff in between. Skip any vegetation whatsoever. Right. But, you know, I would like to do it well. I'd like root vegetables. So what are you going to do? Well, have I got the recipe for you? <laughs> I thought so. If you want to mix it up this Thanksgiving, this yogurt roasted carrots recipe is the way to put something on the table that is really unexpected. So it sort of riffs on tandoori, which is a dish, but it's also a technique. And in tandoori, you coat something with yogurt and spices and then cook it on a very high heat. It gets charred uh, and the yogurt keeps everything nice and moist. So we're doing the same basic thing, but with carrots. We're tossing carrots with some yogurt, garam masala spice blend, which has warm spices, and then some savory spices like cumin and black pepper, fennel seeds, turmeric. And then that gets roasted in a 500-degree oven, and that yogurt Mm. really keeps that spice stuck on the carrot. And also those sugars caramelize. It gets really nice and charred and has tons of just more interesting flavor. You know, usually you have a carrot dish on the table at Thanksgiving and it's kind of ho-hum. This is not that. It's finished with a butter with some garlic and shallot and some more of those spices and then tossed with fresh herbs, cilantro and mint. It's a really nice, bright, different side dish for your Thanksgiving. That sounds a lot better than that little sad (laughs) salad, you know, that I put out there I know nobody's going to eat. Or your boring roasted root vegetables. This is like root vegetables with a lot of excitement. (laughs) (laughs) This is Hollywood vegetables. It really is. And it looks beautiful also. So yogurt, roasted carrots with spices. I'm going to put that on my table this year. Lynn, you've solved my uh, root vegetable problem for the Thanksgiving (laughs) table. And I just want to say happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. You can get this recipe for yogurt roasted carrots with warm spices at MilkStreetRadio.com. You're listening to Milk Street Radio. Coming up, we're answering more of your holiday baking questions with Cheryl Day. We'll be right back. You know, I grew up with Vermont farmers who made do with tools they had on hand. A hammer, pliers, uh, and baling twine, of course, for most jobs. When I became a cook, however, I found that having just the right knife or maybe the perfect carbon steel skillet made all the difference. And the right tool also added pleasure to my cooking. I truly enjoyed my time prepping as well as cooking food. And that also goes for a car. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability They'll have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And that includes available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing. At your Lexus dealer. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This is Mill Street Radio. I'm Christopher Kimball. Up next on this special Thanksgiving show, Cheryl Day and I will be answering a few more of your holiday baking questions. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, this is Andy from Boulder, Colorado. Hi, Andy. How can we help you today? I'm a big bread baker, and I've never really done a lot of dessert baking, so I decided to learn a little bit more about baking cakes. Awesome. And so I started with just vanilla cake. I researched a bunch of online recipes and I looked at ingredients as a percentage of flour using a technique from the bread world. And it became pretty clear that uh, these were all more or less the same recipe. My assumption was that they probably all sprang from some early recipe from The Joy of Cooking or some other earlier cookbook and were just sort of copies of copies of copies, right? Given that, I then moved on to chocolate cakes. Yay, chocolate cake. My family was a big fan of this. <laughs> um, a couple of things stood out to me in comparison to the vanilla cake recipes. First, all the recipes used a hot liquids, either hot water or coffee in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. The other thing that stood out is that every chocolate cake recipe called for vegetable oil as a source of fat, whereas all the vanilla cake recipes called for butter. So my question for you is, are all of these online chocolate cake recipes just copies of copies of some ancestral recipe that used oil or is there some actual reason that people are using oil in a chocolate cake that's a great question and i'm glad you moved over to chocolate cake chris knows probably my answer to this (laughs) because he just recently (laughs) had some of my chocolate cake 
but actually, I mean, I can't attest if those recipes are copies of copies, but I will say that a lot of us in the baking world do believe that a chocolate cake does taste better with oil. There's just something about the texture and the crumb that is better. I've made chocolate cakes with butter. Sometimes I've mixed, but my go-to recipe, and it is an old family recipe, is definitely made with vegetable oil. I just think it can't be beat as far as the texture of the cake. Your chocolate cake is absolutely phenomenal. My experience is vegetable oil, since it's liquid at room temperature, mm-hmm. I find cakes with vegetable oil very often to be moister right. than butter cakes. Not always true, but yeah, I'm all in favor of vegetable oil. It just allows the chocolate flavor to really come forward. And I am a big fan of putting hot coffee in chocolate cake also. And I don't believe you can taste the coffee, but I think it really does elevate the chocolate flavor for sure. Can I make a suggestion? Could you just make Cheryl's recipe? <laughs> but, you know, we, we don't have to have a philosophical discussion here. You can just make a recipe and it's a done deal. There you <laughs> go. And then you're done. <laughs> We're finished. Yeah, that's It's right. a done deal. Then you don't have to do, but I loved some good research. That was awesome. Great question. It was good. Thanks for calling. Right, well, thank and, uh, and back in the day, bakery chocolate cake is the answer. Excellent. All right. Thank you both very much. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. This is Mill Street Radio. If you have a cooking question, give us a call anytime. That number is 855-426-9843. One more time, 855-426-9843. Or email us at questions at MilkStreetRadio.com. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, Chris. Hi, Cheryl. This is Helen. How are you? Fine, thank you. Good to be talking to you. Oh, same. How can we help you? Due to my grandmother's far too heavy hand with cinnamon, which she attributed to World War II rationing and having to mask the flavor of otherwise unpalatable food, I just can't stand <laughs> the flavor and smell of cinnamon. Oh, so my boy. question is, how can I evoke that flavor and smell of the holidays without using cinnamon? My first suggestion would be salon cinnamon, which is often called true cinnamon. Salon cinnamon's floral slightly spicy, doesn't have that overpowering cinnamon flavor. And I really like it. Of course, there's nutmeg, allspice, ginger, Mm -hmm. clove, other things. Nutmeg is probably the one I would use more often. Mm -hmm. I find with these baking spices, people are much too liberal with the amounts. Yes, (laughs) heavy-handed. Heavy-handed. I would always cut back by at least a half or two-thirds The other things you can do is just to avoid it overall. I mean, one of the things I love to use is candied ginger, and I dice it up. Like in an apple pie, it's great. Mm -hmm. If you have flavorful fruit, for example, why compete with a fruit? Yes. Lemon and ginger I like a lot because they're more subtle, uh, or at least they don't overpower the fruit. Cheryl, what do you think? I agree with you, Chris, but Helen, I want to make you a spice lover. (laughs) So I understand about the heavy hand, but I don't know. My mother was a World War II vet, so Mm -hmm. I know about the rations and whatnot. And maybe the cinnamon was not the quality of cinnamon that we have the luxury of getting today. There's so many great spice lines now. One of my favorites is, um, I love that Ceylon cinnamon. 
uh, that Chris mentioned, but a spice company like Burlap and Barrel makes the most beautiful spices just all around. And really a little bit does go a long way. But if you decide that cinnamon absolutely isn't for you, I love to mix a few. I love using cardamom, cloves, ginger, nutmeg is my absolute favorite. But I think a mixture, a little tiny bit of, depending on what you're making, but a little, you know, fourth teaspoon or a pinch of two or three definitely will evoke those memories mm-hmm. and feelings of Christmas. Cardamom mm-hmm. is really fabulous. But I think before we get you into not liking other spices, you need to <laughs> maybe check out some of these, you know, great companies. Sometimes I think what we get in the grocery store just is not up to par. Well, the stuff mm-hmm. in the grocery store sometimes is passed maybe old. <laughs> yeah, it's passed through a dozen hands. So uh, the burlap and barrel, for example, I think is single sourced. Yes. They go direct to the farmer. I like it on many levels, but it's fresher. It's better. Mm-hmm. Do they have a shelf life? I would open the top and smell it. True. And, mm-hmm. True. If they smell strong, they're good, right? Very good mm-hmm. point. And definitely try the salon cinnamon. That's the first thing I would do. Okay. That's the way I'm going to go then. So this holiday season, <laughs> that's what I'll try. Give it a shot. Play around with spices. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Next up, it's regular contributor, Dan Pashman. Dan, how are you? What's on your mind this week? Well, Chris, I'm doing well, thank you. And Thanksgiving is on my mind, which means pie is on my mind. And I think that a lot of folks out there could eat their pie in a way that would be more delicious. Oh, boy. Are we going to mess with apple pie and pumpkin pie? Are you going to do it inside out or something? Whatever kind of pie you want. Now first, I think you'll agree with my first statement, Chris, which is that pie is best when eaten with ice cream. Never. Oh, boy. This is going to be a long segment. Please do not put any ice cream on my pie. No. Whipped cream? No. No? No, it, it, it's, it's like... Having something that's perfect, like a, a really good apple slice of pie should be the crust, it's buttery, it's crispy, it's flaky, the apples are slightly tangy, slightly sweet, no spices, a little lemon in it or something. It's it's the absolute perfection of, of confection. And then I you mean, mess it up and put some nah. melty ice cream dairy thing on top? No, th- no thanks. Pie without ice cream is an incomplete food, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I will I, if you want whipped cream instead of ice cream, because you want a little lighter, that I can abide. But you need that cool dairy creaminess, not only for flavor, to add more flavor and sweetness and creaminess, but it's also, that's where you get different textures working together. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, you're not going to like this. I'm going to tell you right now, Chris, I can tell you you're not going to like it, but I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to our lovely listeners okay. and I'm going to try to help some of them by explaining my technique for eating pie. Okay. Okay. So ideally you want your pie warm, but it doesn't have to be. No, uh, no, no, no. Pie has to be served cold. Cold? Or, or room temperature. I mean, room te- room temperature. All right. I mean, look, that's fine not, with not me. Warm. I can kind of go either way. Okay. Because um, I'm going to cover it with ice cream, so it's going to cool off quickly. But the, the the thing that I'm after is that I want that ice cream to get very melty. Then you take your spoon and you start chopping up the pie and the ice cream and mixing and mixing them all together. The ice cream infuses into the crust and into the filling of the pie. You don't want to mix to the point of monotexture. You still want 
some big pieces of crust and some big pieces of fruit and some big pieces of ice cream, but you want a consistency throughout so that it is coated and the ice cream is at least 50% melted and every piece of pie is coated in ice cream. I'm going to refer to you as Martin from now on, as in Martin <laughs> okay. Luther. So the, the, the Catholic <laughs> Church, you know, was very strict. Everything was in Latin, everything else. He, he right. nails his 95 theses to the door, and all of a sudden you That's get right. ice cream mixed up with crust and filling. No. The, the, Chris, no. this is the sound of me nailing my ice cream pieces to the door. <laughs> to my door, yeah. <laughs> I'm not finished, though, um, uh, because after you have it all mixed up and, you, and the pie is coated in ice cream and the ice cream is super melty and the pie uh-huh. is, is crusty and great, I recommend a sprinkle of good salt. Well, okay. And okay. if you really want to elevate, a teaspoon or two of bourbon. Well, okay. I, I, bourbon on anything. You, you, that, that was cheap. <laughs> you know I'd put bourbon on anything and salt. And I salt. know. It yeah, was a sneak, sneak attack, attack there, Chris. But <laughs> you were one of these kids, I know, who when you got dessert, the first thing you did was mixed it all up. Right? That was you. If if I thought yeah, it would benefit, yeah. yes, and in this case, I think it does. Yeah, I, I was one of the kids who cared about architectural integrity in my desserts. Yeah, I, I, uh, and I made sure I ate it in such a way where it kept its integrity to the last second. So, which bite of the slice of pie do you think is best? Oh, uh, that's a well. It depends on the pie. I would say the first bite of apple pie is no good because you don't get enough crust. Okay, you definitely have to get to the center. That that's the sweet spot. But pumpkin pie. I don't really care about the crust because half the time it's soggy anyway. So I, I can go with that first first bite of pumpkin pie. I would argue the best bite of a slice of pie is towards the the back of the slice yeah. where the vertical side crust meets the bottom crust yeah. because that vertical side crust tends to be crustier. Yeah. It hasn't been weighed down and liquefied by the fillings as much. Yeah. So you get that texture plus the doughy bottom crust plus the fillings. Yeah, it, it, as long as the crust has been made well and is thin and crispy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Hey, we, we found we found common ground. There you go. Look, Chris, this Thanksgiving, I want you to give it a shot. Coat it in ice cream, pinch of salt, splash of bourbon. It's going to rock your world. Dan, thank you very much for messing with my classic uh, Thanksgiving uh, desserts. <laughs> but, you know, in deference to the fact you're a regular contributor on the show— Uh, I will give it a shot and shoot you a photo. I cannot wait to see that. Happy Thanksgiving, Chris. Dan, thank you. That was Dan Pashman, host of the Sporkful Food Podcast. This is Mill Street Radio. For our Thanksgiving episode, we invited our friends to share their favorite Thanksgiving memories. Thanksgiving! It's Yasmin Farr, and I want to wish you and your family and loved ones a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving and a great year ahead. Hello, this is Anthony Falco, author of Pizza Czar. It's George Motes, wishing you a happy Thanksgiving. It's Feral Monaco calling from the Piazza in Pompeii, Italy. I think this year's Thanksgiving is going to be very special, as we've certainly waited long enough for it, and we really earned it, in my opinion. Hey! Patty Hinich, host of Patty's Mexican Table and La Frontera on PBS. And this Thanksgiving, I'm really excited because my friends are letting me cook my new turkey recipe, which has a pineapple and brown sugar adobo, and it's stuffed with chorizo and cashews. Wishing you all a warm and spiced up Thanksgiving. Here's a great turkey idea for you. Try cooking one on a pig rotisserie like I did one year in 12 degree temperatures 
It only took me about nine hours and seven bags of charcoal to make it happen, but man, was it worth it. I'm Alice Waters of Shapenese, and I always look forward to Thanksgiving. My friends bring oysters, they bring squash, gratin, and we usually go for a walk up the hill, and then we come back, and we have cranberry pie. Thanksgiving is a pleasure with friends. Now, I was raised in a vegetarian household, and, and we would take a ball of stuffing, and we would layer bean curd sheets over the top of it and bake it in the oven. And whatever your traditions are, I hope you enjoy them this year. Hey, it's Martha Barnett from Away With Words. My favorite Thanksgiving memory year after year was my mother's yeast rolls. They were very simple, just milk and margarine and salt and water. And when those things came out of the oven, the taste was just heavenly. Beyond words, really. I'm Nathan Mirvold from Modernist Cuisine. And when I was nine years old, I decided the real test of whether I knew how to cook would be to cook Thanksgiving dinner all by myself. One of the cookbooks I had gotten was called the Pyromaniacs Cookbook. So I, you know, flambéed the um, sweet potatoes with rum at the table, and I think I poured something burning over the uh, the turkey. You know, when you're a nine-year-old boy, getting to play with fire is pretty fun. Hey there, this is Nick Sharma, and I'm here to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. One of the funniest Thanksgivings was when the turkey got burned. But luckily, we had a turkey-shaped piñata that year, which was stuffed with candy, and that made up for the absence of what should have been on our dinner table. I think everyone found the piñata also to be a really great stress buster. This is Leslie from Maine. My grandmother loves to host Thanksgiving. Our family would gather at her rustic oceanside shack in Lubeck, Maine to celebrate. On this particular year, when one of her sons finally thought to ask about the whereabouts of the turkey, she told him that it was cooling in the shed, and he saw her open the shed door to find that the sheet pan had shifted and fallen into the garbage bin, and the turkey had slid off and mingled with the garbage and leaf litter. Without missing a beat, she grabbed the turkey by the leg and slung it back onto the sheet pan, wiped her hands on her apron, and walked it back into the house, setting it gently on the family table for dinner. It's Yolanda Shoshana from BrandyBruja.com. My favorite tradition is what my friends and I call Pajama Thanksgiving. Basically, we all show up wearing our pajamas so we're comfortable all day as we lay around, watch movies, eat, drink, and be merry. There's nothing better. Greetings. This is Farmer Matthew Rayford hailing from Brunswick, Georgia. About two years ago, my dad says to me, Hey, son, you're cooking Thanksgiving for the family this year. So I did oysters on hot tin, a brine of fried turkey, my Nana's sweet potato pie. And it was the most amazing time, especially knowing that family get-togethers are a very sacred thing right about now. Hi, this is Karen from Sandwich, Massachusetts. 
Eight weeks ago, I lost my beautiful spouse, Patricia. Pat's cooking advice improved many family meals over the years, especially at holidays. This season will be no exception. I know we'll hear her. You might try cooking the turkey upside down, she'll say. It won't look as pretty, but it keeps the juices in the bird. Be careful not to overcook the string beans and asparagus. Don't rush, have patience. It can be hard to know how to be heartbroken and gather for a holiday at the same time. But if we can create a perfectly cooked, perfectly timed Thanksgiving feast in Pat's honor, we will have done well this year. Growing up in Scotland, I always had a fairly skeptical view of the American tradition of Thanksgiving. But from the first time I actually celebrated it here with a deep fried turkey as it snowed outside, Thanksgiving has been full of joy and warmth and the family and friends I have made here in the States, without whom I can't imagine ever having stayed. Thanksgiving is, of course, a time to give thanks, and so in honor of my favorite day of the year, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to and supporting this show and for helping to make Milk Street what it is today, an eager bunch of home cooks exploring the world through food. You know, I got into cooking because of the promise of the table. It's a place where everyone's invited, where everyone has a seat. And having sat at tables from Vermont to Taipei, I can say that I've always been welcome, and that gives me enormous hope for the future. So despite the headlines, despite what some people claim is a grim future, I look at the kitchen as a place of reconciliation, of goodwill, even of redemption. So in that spirit, I offer a happy Thanksgiving to each and every one of you. And please remember to count your blessings one plate at a time. That's it for this week's show. If you tune in too late or just want to listen again, you can download and subscribe to Milk Street Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about Milk Street, please go to 177milkstreet.com. There you can download each week's recipe, watch the latest season of our television show, or you can order our latest cookbook, Vegetables. You can also find us on Facebook at Christopher Kimball's Milk Street, on Instagram and Twitter at 177milkstreet. We'll be back next week, and thanks, as always, for listening. Christopher Kimball's Milk Street Radio is produced by Milk Street in association with GBH. Executive producer, Melissa Baldino. Senior audio editor, Melissa Allison. Producer, Sarah Clapp and Jason Tureski. Production assistant, Amelia McGuire. And production help from Debbie Paddock. Additional editing by Sydney Lewis. Audio mixing by Jay Allison at Atlantic Public Media in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Theme music by Two Bob Crew. Additional music by George Brandel Egloth. Christopher Kimball's Milk Street Radio is distributed by PRX.